HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to Jupiter's Almanac. I'm Matthew Rayford, the great-great-great-grandson of Jupiter Gilliard, a former slave who bought the land I now farm in Georgia nearly 150 years ago. Through the years, my ancestors have passed on some essential and hard-earned wisdom about growing and producing the food we eat. It's my great honor to share that inheritance with you and to invite other farmers from Georgia and around the country to share their tips with you. So, if you are just starting out, reconnecting with the land, or a seasoned farmer, join the conversation. For our first episode, I'll be sharing the story and history of my farm. You hear a lot about Jupiter Gilliard, who started it all, as well as the knowledge I've gleaned by reading letters sent between my grandmother and my great-grandmother about how to manage the farm. I'll start by telling you a bit about myself, and you'll hear from my partner, Javon Sage, as well. She is our on-farm herbalist and alchemist. She transforms food and transforms flowers and the like. It's an amazing partnership that we've been able to cultivate. Then, in the second half of the show, I'll dive more into my family history and the regional history of coastal Georgia. I'll talk about Gullah Geechee culture and also share a recipe for hibiscus spritzer. So a little bit about myself to kick things off. I was raised here in Brunswick, Georgia, went off in the military for 10 years, decided afterwards I wanted to follow my original passion and dream, which was to become a chef. And I did just that, working in places from MGM Grand to the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. In 2011, I decided to move back to Brunswick, to our family farm, and I'm doing some amazing work that I'm looking forward to telling you more about. Now here's a pre-recorded conversation between Javon and me that will get you more familiar with the history of Gilyar Farms and what we're doing here today. So, we are here at Gilyar Farms, a farm that got started in uh, 1874 by Jupiter Gilyard, a slave born in 1812 in South Carolina. Our farm is actually 15 minutes from the beach and 30 miles from Florida. Wow. Yes. Very much so subtropical. 
To be exact, it's zone 9A. So super, super hot summers, um, fairly mild winters, as a matter of fact. Um, it was like 85 degrees the other day, wasn't it? Yes, but we also have mosquitoes the size of dinosaurs, banana spiders, and rattlesnakes. Oh, you had to go there, didn't you? Okay, no Absolutely. worries. Well, um, so why a Jupiter's Almanac podcast? Well, um, first of all, let's talk about a sense of place. Um, the place that we're in, in Brunswick, Georgia, is one of the first five ports that George Washington put into place. So kind of starting off with that as a thought of like where we are and the amounts of people that came into this port um, gives us a lot to kind of have a conversation about, um, especially when we're talking about uh, agriculture and we're talking about uh, food and we're talking about farming and uh, even what comes out of the ocean. And so for us, it's also this idea of connecting people back to the land and connecting our um, folks back to their ancestry. So what does it mean to organically, sustainably farm in our current economy and time? Um, what does it look like to get your hands in the soil? And, and what does it look like to be a farmer um, as well as an eater? We're already in 2020. And I think part of that conversation is what do the next 2000 years look like so far as food goes and how do we get there? And I think having that conversation and actually kind of like remembering also, right? Like this is what just happened and, and here are where we are. Like we, we, we're so caught up nowadays in how quickly we have access to everything that oftentimes we lose some of uh, like where we came from and what just happened and that it wasn't too far or, or that far back. Well, but I think it's also more complicated than that as well. It's like also knowing how much people have to work and how little money that they're making. Um, I think it's important to know that so many people eat the way that they eat because they don't have time to do anything else. And so I think part of that is like, how do we create ways for people to bring their full selves um, to this food economy and to find ways to eat better, healthier, fresher, more local, um, you know, Nutrient within their budget. Even. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that. Mm -hmm. I get that. And I think, you know, I feel very fortunate to be on my own family's land and be the sixth generation to be here farming. And then to have my children be the seventh to have planted, harvested, and eaten from a crop from this land. Um, you know, I can even remember being like 19, 20 years old, remember, uh, realizing that people bought everything from a grocery store. Having grown up on the farm, I always thought people shared sweet potatoes and cucumbers and tomatoes and all of those kinds of things. So I think that um, just not taking this for granted, um, I think has become a big, big piece of my life right now. So Jupiter Gilliard was able to actually um, purchase this uh, nine, this actually 476 acres of land for $9 in taxes in 1874, which is unimaginable nowadays <laughs> because um, it would be a lot more than nine dollars for uh, 476 acres of land. Um, but uh, when he when he got this land, basically he passed the land down um, to his son Lunan, 
uh, Gilliard who um, had children. So basically everybody, as our land was being passed down, was passed down to those that had children so that each gener- so that there'd be another generation to kind of like move the land along and still have the land and continue farming. Um, since we've uh, been on the family land, we've been able to actually uh, find uh, letters written between my uh, great-grandmother and my grandmother on how things were planted, uh, what was taken to market, and what time of year it was taken to market. Um, I think those things have become our farmer's almanac here at the farm for when we plant everything from collard greens to sweet potatoes to even harvesting hogs. So I think that um, this has been an amazing journey thus far to be able to see that these things were being written about uh, in a time when folks were saying that, you know, black folks weren't educated and they didn't know how to do certain things. But we're talking about my great grandmother who was born 1881, I believe. Yeah, 1881 or 82, something like that, but who was able to read and write. Um, so, um, without an education, she wasn't, she was never formally educated, um, so to speak. So she has a beautiful handwriting too. That was just like amazing. Um, and then to have the schoolhouse on the property that was built in 1907 and from 1907 to 1955, it being the only place and within an almost 25 mile radius of where we are for black folks to go to school at. I mean, I think that that also speaks volumes to, uh, to education and to uh actually you know when i when i think about it about having the schoolhouse on the farm that we've basically been farm to school before it was ever called farm to school well and i think it also puts you in a time and place where you actually learn how people navigated the world you know how when we would go on to market on Jekyll Island, you would need to take and give your produce to the ferryman. But when you came back, you know, because hopefully you sold your vegetables, you were able to pay him in cash. And so I think it gives us an idea of what life was like along the coast um, before we had, you know, our major highways like 95 or our major bridges like the Sydney Lanier Bridge. Yeah, I mean, I can remember when uh, I-95 ended in South Carolina and actually picked back up in uh, Florida when there was no I-95 that actually went through Georgia. So, I mean, even the amount of bridge system that's in place right now um, wasn't even there like 40 years ago. Um, and right now people would think that it's been there forever. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that us creating this Jupiter's Almanac is going to be a uh, eye-opening, especially with some of the, you know, podcasts that we've come up with. So I'm just hoping that people make sure they tune into things like, you know, how do you prepare for a natural disaster or how do you get um, your children to um, get outside and, you know, play in the dirt and uh, what is it like to farm with your partner? Um, So, yeah, I think that those are going to be some amazing things that we're going to be bringing up in the podcast over the next uh, couple of months. episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. 
Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back to Jupiter's Almanac. I wouldn't be here on this land today without Jupiter. And I want to tell you more about my family's history, as well as the rich history of Gullah Geechee culture and coastal Georgia. So why the name Jupiter Almanac? Well, you know, an almanac is kind of a written uh, format of what has happened before so that people can figure out what's what they can do uh, in the future, so to speak. And so what I am using and why I decided to name Jupiter's Almanac was because I'm actually using letters written between my grandmother and my great-grandmother um, from the 30s to the almost the 60s on how they planted and harvested and when they went to market as kind of my foundation um, for this conversation. And also, I want to show how interconnected we all are and how seasonality of things and how people are eating is so very, very important. And, you know, being African in descent and being uh, having this land that we have, uh, Jupiter Gilliard started off with 476 acres of land. And then as people married into our family and things like that, we didn't have a lot of money. So land is uh, power. Um, land is also allows you to have some sort of wealth. So um, I think land, giving of land, is how a lot of these things got to be. And holding on to this land was only due to farming. Like, Jupiter Gilliard paid $9 in taxes in 1874. Trust me, the taxes are not the same right now. Um, so on the 40-plus acres of land that uh, my sister and I have, um, along with the rest of our family, we are definitely pushing um, a few thousand dollars um, in taxes now to hold on to the land. And the farming and family working and staying connected with each other has really been the only way that we've held on to our land. Um, and, you know, there's been lots of black land loss, which we'll talk about in a different episode. But um, I think that my family being able to stay connected um, to each other um, and understanding the value of this land is really the only reason that we've been able to hold on to it to this point. And that being said, you know, when you think about how to plant in what is now Zone 9A, 
it's super hot here. So also understanding what season to plant, what time periods are better to plant certain things. I think that's the other way we were able to hold on because writing back and forth and creating that almanac, that written piece of how things were done consistently allowed for the repetition of farming to be done consistently over the years. And that's why we're here today. So let me give a little bit of history um, behind this area that we're in uh, that's also called the low country of Georgia. So we're located um, in Brunswick, Georgia, which um, is one of the original five ports that Washington put into place. Within that space, though, the amount of people, the hodgepodge, is very similar to here as it, is, as it was in New York City. So we have the Africans that were brought here um, from places like Cameroon and Ghana um, and even Senegal We in Sierra Leone. We have uh, Portuguese folks that were brought here, the Spanish, which were originally here, um, the Native Americans that were here, the Cherokee and the like. Um, and then we have everybody else from the European diaspora that ended up here. Um, so what's really interesting is the food culture that's here um, is mixed into all of that. Um, so we have rice culture and we got grits culture all in the exact same place. Who could imagine? Um, so, yeah, this is this is like an amazing place. Lots of fishing. Um, we have something called the Blessing of the Fleet uh, that is just like super over the top. Um, that's all about the Portuguese fishermen going out to fish and uh, the blessing of the Catholic Church over that. So there's a lot of things that are pushed out there in this area that aren't one dimensional. Um, and I really love the food that's here because it really speaks volumes to the Gullah Geechee culture um, that I pretty much come from. And I'm pretty much a freshwater Geechee because I'm inland. So more about the Gullah Geechee culture. Um, when you think about rice plantations and indigo plantations um, and even cotton plantations, um, because cotton was actually one of the last crops that uh, most of the plantations ended up doing. There was this uh, time period where uh, all of, or as the Civil War started to end, where there was something that some folks call white flight, where all the plantation owners just left the area and left all their slaves to just fend for themselves, possibly live, or possibly die. And what ended up happening with all of these enslaved folks was that they ended up, be, ended up becoming extremely resilient and staying some on the sea islands um, and some coming over to the mainland and uh, going in about 25 miles. And so hunting is very much so a part of uh, this area for us. Uh, fishing's definitely a huge, being seafaring is definitely a huge part Um the oysters that we have in this area are just amazingly salty and briny. Um, the shrimp that come out of our estuaries because of rice culture is also uh, an amazing piece that happened. So growing up right here on the family farm, I really think that there was this piece of not uh, even really connecting all of the pieces all at once. Because, you know, when you're a kid, you're just like, man, I wish I could live in a city. I'm out in this country all the time. It's just a bunch of woods and mosquitoes and noceums and all of those kinds of things. 
and not really understanding kind of uh, initially when I was younger, the uh, significance of where I was and how I was growing up. And so now I'm, you know, as I look back on everything and as uh, my sister and I have had the uh, opportunity to inherit this land, uh, it's been an amazing ride because, you know, when you're when you're out in the field helping your grandparents and helping your uncles, you know, harvest peas and greens and watermelon and all that kind of stuff, you don't necessarily have the initial appreciation for it. And then at the same time, I grew up thinking that everybody kind of had or knew somebody that grew vegetables. I didn't realize that so much was pushed into grocery stores. Um, and I also grew up here in the, in the deep south in the 70s. So I have a different affinity for the deep south as many people um, seem to have a, a real affinity for the deep south at this point in time. Uh, with southern restaurants just popping up all over the United States. But um, I, I would definitely say that growing up, uh, freshwater Geechee was kind of like always in our face. I mean, my sister right now still eats rice with a little bit of sugar as like her cereal. Um, I still love, uh, you know, in South Carolina, I think they call it Perlou. Um, here, I, I didn't, I never heard of Perlou per se. Um, it was always this Creole rice dish that we always ate with shrimp and tomatoes. Um, and I don't, I, I guess it got that kind of Creolish name because of the fact that we always put onions, peppers, and celery in it um, to make it. So I guess that that's kind of that hodgepodge of, or that melting pot of where food comes from. So, and, or how food is interpreted in different areas. So, Throughout Jupiter's Almanac, you'll hear me refer to things that would sound like I'm in South Carolina or it may sound like I'm in Florida. And the reason for that is because the Gullah Geechee Corridor runs from North Florida to North Carolina, which is, you know, a few hundred miles to say. So a lot of our interconnection within those areas will also be being talked about throughout Jupiter's Almanac. So here we go. Last but not least, the hibiscus spritzer, which Javon is going to talk about momentarily. But let me talk about the relevance of uh, hibiscus, or even some people just refer to it as sorrel. Um, it falls into that red drink, right? So we think about red Kool-Aid, we think about uh, punches and things like that. Hibiscus has a really nice tart taste to it. It has been used in African teas to treat everything from constipation to cold symptoms. The pulp has even made from the leaves has been applied to skin to even heal wounds. So it has some medicinal purposes as well as being an amazing drink. One of the things we've just been able to do with hibiscus also is we have a hibiscus gin that we just launched in February through Simple Man Distillery. And it's called a Gullah Geechee Gin. Um, all of the herbal, pro all of the herbs that are used in this uh, gin is actually grown right here at the farm. Everything except for juniper berries. So please take a look also in the show notes and we'll have some connection to that also. One of my favorite herbs, and that is hibiscus. Um, 
Here on our farm, we're zone 9A, we are subtropical. And so one of the plants that we grow the best um, outside of weeds um, are hibiscus plants. The hibiscus that we grow from seed um, grows to be about six to seven to eight feet tall. Um, and in addition to the flowers, you also have this little part of the plant, the fruit, or the calaxis as it's called. And so um, when you, whenever you get like a hibiscus, tea somewhere it's the fruit that you're actually brewing up um, which is just this bright red kind of magenta um, fruit um, that is just absolutely beautiful and in the middle of the fruit is this lovely seed pod that has anywhere from like 10 to 20 seeds that we harvest and so for us um, being in this very tropical place um, it's just amazing to be able to go up to these hibiscus trees um, as as they pretty much grow to be um, to pull off this fruit and the fruit is bright, it's tart. Um, it reminds me in so many ways of like a cranberry, just kind of like that that sweet juiciness to it. And a lot of what I'll do with the hibiscus is I incorporate it into teas or to food. And so um, for me, part of my business, um, Sage's Larder, my number one selling tea is actually my hibiscus-based tea, um, which is called Coastal Dreams. I created it specifically um, for the feeling that this coastal landscape gives me, which is just this bright, sweet, um, you know, kind of pepperminty. So there's hibiscus, there's peppermint, there's ginger, and just a little bit of orange peel to add this like hint of bitterness to it. And so this tea is, um, it's just lovely hot um, with a little bit of honey, but it's also amazingly delicious as an iced tea. Um, so it's just cooling to the system, it's cooling to your head and and just oh so beautiful. Um, we also um, incorporate it into the specialty gin that we're working with Simple Man Distillery to create. Um, and then um, you can candy it as well. Um, you can drink it just by itself. It helps with your, your blood pressure um, and really calming your system. Um, but it's also used in this... Um, amazing Caribbean drink called Red Drink or um, Red Punch, depending on where you are. And so you'll create a syrup and you can add rum to it. And it's just an amazingly delicious, fun um, beverage to drink during the holidays. So where do we get this amazing hibiscus spritzer uh, tea from? You can go to www.sageslarder.com. Javon makes this tea. It's an amazing, amazing tea and so delicious. And last but not least, I'd like to thank her for actually sharing that with us. And then I'd like to thank all of you for listening to Jupiter's Almanac this week. Have a great week. Please subscribe to Jupiter's Almanac wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Javon Sage. Our executive producer is Kat Johnson. Jupiter's Almanac is also produced by Dylan Hoyer. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by The Joy Drops. Jupiter's Almanac is powered by Simplecast. Jupiter's Almanac is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio and we want to hear from you 
Send us any questions in writing or as a voice memo that we can help answer on the air at Jupiter's Almanac at heritageradionetwork.org. 